Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States... People should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, April 13th, 2023, the 813th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we talked about Mark Elias and the DNC parting ways. Mark Elias is the DNC hatchet man who wages lawfare to uphold stolen elections. He was also directly involved with the creation and dissemination of the entirely fake Steele dossier in 2016 on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign. 
And we have a new little twist and update today. This is from Just the News. Legal argument by Dem super lawyer will aid GOP challenge upend Arizona attorney general race. A legal argument by Democrats go to election super lawyer Mark Elias may boomerang to upend the Arizona attorney general race, according to defeated GOP nominee Abe Hamaday, who is challenging the election in court. Hamaday is suing his opponent, Arizona Attorney General Chris Mays, to ensure all votes were counted in their midterm election contest, which Hamaday lost by just 280 votes, according to an automatic statewide recount. In a legal challenge to an Arizona election integrity law pending before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, Elias's law firm argues that the cancellation of multiple voter registrations for a single voter across different counties could result in voter suppression of populations that frequently move. Elias is unintentionally going to get disenfranchised votes from the November 2022 election counted, which will upend the Arizona attorney general race, Hamaday tweeted on Wednesday. I look forward to working with Mark Elias and the team to ensure that democracy is honored. Meanwhile, the Democratic National Committee has parted ways with Elias, citing strategic disagreements, according to a report on Wednesday. And it's definitely not got anything to do with any other issue Mark Elias might be involved with and certainly not the Durham investigation. On Tuesday, Mojave County Superior Court scheduled oral arguments on May 16th for Hamaday's motion for a new trial, which he filed after learning that vote total discrepancies in Pinal County were allegedly not brought to the attention of his legal team or the judge in his initial election challenge. As Hamaday's case moves forward, the Elias Law Group's separate lawsuit challenging an Arizona election integrity law could aid the GOP nominee's case. In August 2022, Arizona Alliance for Retired Americans, Voto Latino, and Priorities USA first sued then-Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs and then-Attorney General Mark Burnovich with the help of Elias Law Group over Senate Bill 1260, which was enacted in June 2022. The Yuma County Republican Committee intervened in the lawsuit in defense of the new law. The lawsuit argues that the bill, quote, violates the First Amendment's rights to free speech and association and the First and Fourteenth Amendment's protections against undue burdens on the right to vote, according to a summary by Elias's progressive elections news source, Democracy Docket. SB 1260, according to Democracy Docket, requires county recorders to cancel a voter's registration if they receive confirmation that the voter is registered to vote in another Arizona county, creates a process to remove voters from the state's permanent vote-by-mail list if the voter is registered in another county, and makes it a felony to forward a mail-in ballot to a voter who may be registered in another state. The lawsuit warns that the bill's provisions for the cancellation of a person's voter registration does not require county recorders to notify the voter or ask for their consent before canceling their voter registration, nor require recorders to make any inquiry at all of the voter, including to find out where the voter currently resides and intends to vote. As a result, the law, quote, places an undue burden of affirmative cancellation on voters, particularly those who frequently move or change residences, because voters must cancel their other voter registrations if they want to prevent their current voter registration from being canceled, according to the lawsuit. 
In September, the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona temporarily halted the enforcement of the cancellation and felony provisions, which means they weren't to take effect during the 2022 midterm elections. The appeal of the order is scheduled to be heard by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on May 16th. Elias's legal argument against the cancellation of multiple voter registrations actually helps Hamaday's case. Former Arizona Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright told Just the News on Monday. Wright, who served in the civil division of the AG's Election Integrity Unit under Brnovich, joined Hamaday's lawsuit in January. While the district judge stopped the new law from canceling voter registrations in more than one county for a single voter, there are still policies and procedures remaining in effect that allow the cancellations, Wright explained. The cancellation provision applies when someone registers to vote in a new county while they are already registered to vote in a different county. In such cases, the new registration replaces the original one, which is canceled. The audit of the 2020 presidential election in Arizona found that there were voters who registered to vote in multiple counties and voted in more than one county, according to Wright, which is what led to the cancellation provision in Senate Bill 1260. But the issue that occurred in the 2022 midterm elections, she explained, is that high propensity voters who were previously registered to vote had to cast provisional ballots when they learned at voting centers on election day that they weren't registered to vote. While there were nearly 9,000 provisional ballots rejected statewide during the 2022 general election, Hamaday's legal team estimates that, based on their research, at least 1,200 of them across roughly half of the state's counties were erroneously rejected, Wright said, and there could be more in other counties. Those 1,200 provisional ballots were cast by high-propensity voters, which is unusual, she explained, because typically... Provisional ballots are cast by first-time or low-propensity voters who aren't fully aware of all the requirements they must meet to vote. And of course, you remember Arizona's elections were an absolute mess on election day in the midterms, and people were forced to fill out provisional ballots as a result of that. And it's worth noting that provisional ballots in general often don't get counted which is bad in general, but especially strange in a situation like this where they know that people were forced to fill out provisional ballots. Those are people who are obviously there wanting to vote and their votes are being cast aside in favor of votes with no signature matching, no chain of custody and votes that were inserted after the election was over. Wright explained that it's common for Arizonans to have two properties, and if they register a vehicle at their second property with the Motor Vehicles Department, there is a pre-checked box on a form for that process that moves a person's voter registration to the new location. And that's good, isn't it? You get registered to vote at the DMV. Thank goodness it's only real legal Americans who can register to vote that way. She noted that provisions in Arizona's 2014 elections procedures manual included safeguards that prevented voters from being erroneously removed without notifying them. However, those safeguards were removed in the 2019 elections procedures manual, which Wright said she didn't initially realize when she was assisting the attorney general's office in defending the challenged election integrity law. Given that Hamaday was just 280 votes short of victory in the attorney general's race and that there are at least 1,200 provisional ballots that were cast by high propensity voters, it is possible that if those are counted, he could win, Wright argues. 
While Wright said she disagrees with Elias on allowing voters to be registered to vote in multiple counties, she added that it is unfair to voters if their registration is changed without them realizing and consenting to it, and it also violates procedural due process. Elias argued that the cancellation of voter registrations would disenfranchise voters. Wright told Just the News No Noise TV show on Wednesday. And under the safeguards that should be in place under the National Voter Registration Act, counties shouldn't have been canceling valid registrations, she added. But our campaign is finding they did. This is a violation of the NVRA and of people's civil rights, Wright concluded. Elias's doomsday argument, she told Just the News, came to fruition, but not in the way he thought it was going to happen. And his exact arguments could now be used to get Abe into office. Elias Law Group and Mays didn't immediately respond to requests for comment on Wednesday. So essentially, Mark Elias in the lawsuit on behalf of the communists who like to rig elections using a massive supply of additional registrations in the registration database wanted to keep that number high so that those registries would be available to be used by the election fraud system. And in doing so, he has provided the justification to make sure that the courts will not allow for the disqualification of all of those other provisional ballots, which may indeed make Abe Hamaday the winner in Arizona. And obviously, knowing about how Arizona's elections work, there's no reason to believe that Abe Hamaday didn't actually win that election. It seems like the communists may have tied themselves in a knot on this one. Watching the communists experience a disaster of their own creation and at the hands of Mark Elias would be absolutely wonderful and probably hilarious to watch. And while we're on the subject of these communists maliciously abusing the legal system in the United States, Donald Trump released a video statement called Firing the Radical Marxist Prosecutors Destroying America. There is no more dire threat to the American way of life than the corruption and weaponization of our justice system. And it's happening all around us. If we cannot restore the fair and impartial rule of law, we will not be a free country. As president, it will be my personal mission to restore the scales of justice in America. We want fairness and equality under the law. And to that end, I will appoint U.S. attorneys who will be the polar opposite of the Soros district attorneys and others that are being appointed throughout the United States. Very unfair to our population, very unfair to our country. They will be the 100 most ferocious legal warriors against crime and communist corruption that this country has ever seen. As we completely overhaul the Federal Department of Justice and FBI, we will also launch sweeping civil rights investigations into Marxist local district attorneys. And that's what we have. They're Marxists in many cases. By refusing to charge countless crimes, the Soros prosecutors appear to be engaging in selective enforcement based on illegal racial discrimination. In Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and every other city where these maniacs have taken over, the DA's offices should face federal subpoenas of their staff, their emails, and their records to determine whether they have blatantly violated federal civil rights law. 
As part of this effort, there should be a federal inquiry into the Soros prosecutor in Austin, Texas, who charged a veteran with murder for defending himself against a threat by a heavily armed member of a radical left mob. I will also order the Department of Justice to establish a task force on protecting the right to self-defense, which is under siege nationwide. In addition, we will have a complete investigation into the use of police state tactics by federal authorities to arrest conservatives and Christians. We will find out who ordered it, and we will hold them totally accountable. There is much more that we must do. We have to confront this radicalized law in schools. You take a look at what they've done to our schools, our beautiful schools. We have to reform the far-left bar associations and stop the purge of conservative lawyers from major law firms. I will do whatever it takes to save our legal system among the greatest achievements of Western civilization from the Marxist barbarians who seek to destroy it. And we will do that. We will save it. Thank you very much. As usual, President Trump is right on point. And I have to say, I do not know what is going on with people who consider themselves conservative, consider themselves patriotic, and still think that that man is not the best choice to be president. He has already proven his abilities with 15 different versions of soft coups happening during his administration, people in his administration trying to sabotage him on behalf of the regime. He still kept us out of wars and created incredible American prosperity. He won in 2020. There is absolutely no question about that. Anyone who says that Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes needs their head examined. And if you understand that he did and you want to replace him, then how can you claim to care about the country? You would clearly be accepting what the regime has given you and aiding the regime in its desire to move on permanently from Donald Trump. And if you don't understand that there's no way Joe Biden could have received 81 million real legal American votes, if you don't understand that elections are stolen in this country at all levels from the smallest local races all the way up to president, then you didn't check. And who is supposed to respect that? And I think people really do need to reroute their thinking on this election fraud discussion. I see it happen on Twitter all the time, mostly from communists, but from many people on the right, all of whom support Ron DeSantis. They will argue that you are unable to provide enough proof of election fraud to get them to change their minds about something they have not checked. They hear a claim. Elections are stolen. They go online and read all the debunkings and memorize all the debunkings for every claim of election fraud, they think all of that is persuasive enough to ignore each and every one of these claims, thousands and thousands of claims, illustrating a broad system of systemic fraud, and they think it's just fine to move on. Yes, I'm certain that all of these debunkings and fact checks must be correct. There's absolutely nothing wrong with our elections, but they don't even go that far. They know that election fraud happens in every election. They don't deny 
the possibility of election fraud. They see little cases of election fraud happen all around the country. They just say, well, I don't think that was enough to have changed the results. So, you know, it's going to happen. There's nothing we can do. Well, hey, on what basis did you determine that that fraud isn't, first of all, an indication of a much broader problem and also that that fraud couldn't have changed the outcome of certain races? 300 votes isn't going to overturn a presidential election unless it's really close in one state, but it can overturn that fraudulent result in Arizona. Don't you think that we need to make sure that all the votes are correct so that there couldn't be a mistake of 300 inside a state with millions of votes? But nope, you're not allowed to check, not until you prove to them to their satisfaction that you can show an entire system of fraud and have their authoritative sources agree that it happened because that's their real standard of proof. They don't operate on their own standards of proof and they don't operate on their own morality. They take their cues from authoritative sources and then they repeat them, which is why they never actually bothered to go check for themselves. But the problem is that the burden of proof isn't actually on the person claiming the election fraud. The extraordinary claim in this situation is that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes, more votes from black voters than Barack Obama in four major cities that swung the election. Those are extraordinary claims, and those have no evidence, much less extraordinary evidence. The response to that claim is, wait a second, commie. You know that election fraud exists. Election fraud has always existed. And they'll actually believe that. So immediately they've already accepted the premise of the election deniers, and they think it's just a matter of scale. So the question is, hey, commie, how much election fraud is okay? And of course, they won't answer that question either. The point is, there is no reason to allow them to shift the burden of proof onto you when they can't prove their claim at all. Not a single person in this country or organization can provide evidence and support for the claim that Joe Biden received the most votes of all time while campaigning from his basement. And their suggestions and guesses about the effects of mail-in voting or how much Donald Trump was hated, even though his vote total rose by 20%, are not a substitute for evidence. That is zero evidence. That is them making a claim that they heard on TV or that they think from their social circle that everybody just hates Donald Trump. There's no evidence for that when the man is in office and goes up by 12 million votes. Nothing like that has ever happened before. And we're just supposed to accept that the mail-in ballots, the mail-in ballots don't raise overall turnout. There are states that have had universal mail-in balloting like Washington for a long time. That doesn't increase their turnout all by itself. No one can prove the validity of Joe Biden's 81 million votes. You don't need to allow them to shift the burden of proof onto you, especially not when they already accept the central claim, and they didn't check to see whether or not the small claims of election fraud were part of a broader system. We have to stop accepting their terms of debate just because that's the way the conversation is commonly had in the media. We don't have to play along with their everybody knows standards. 
Now, there's something strange going on in the U.S. Senate, and I want to spend a couple of minutes there before we get into some of this Ukraine stuff. This is from CNN this morning. Feinstein asks to be temporarily replaced on judiciary amid some party pressure to resign from the Senate. Senator Dianne Feinstein said Wednesday night that she had asked to be temporarily replaced on the Senate Judiciary Committee while she is recovering from shingles. But the California Democrat remains committed to returning to the Senate amid pressure by some in her party to step down. I understand that my absence could delay the important work of the Judiciary Committee. So I've asked Leader Schumer to ask the Senate to allow another Democratic senator to temporarily serve until I'm able to resume my committee work. The 89-year-old Feinstein said in a statement, or at least someone said it on her behalf. Feinstein said she had expected to return to Washington by the end of the March work period, but that her return had been delayed due to continued complications related to her diagnosis. She planned to return, she said, as soon as possible once my medical team advises that it's safe for me to travel. A spokesperson for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Wednesday night that, per Senator Feinstein's wishes, he would ask the Senate next week to allow another Democratic senator to temporarily serve on the Judiciary Committee. In order to replace her on the committee, a resolution would need to be agreed upon to name another member to the panel. Typically, members are named to committees as part of an organizing resolution at the beginning of a new Senate session. The process at the start of a new Congress typically happens without incident. Leaders agree and the resolution is adopted by unanimous consent. Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Dick Durbin recently acknowledged to CNN that Feinstein's absence had slowed down the party's push to confirm nominees. Asked if her absence has longer ramifications for the Democrats' ability to confirm nominees, the Illinois Democrat said, yes, of course it does, pointing to the long process of getting nominees scheduled for votes during precious floor time. Earlier Wednesday, in a rare instance of lawmakers urging a member of their own party to step down from Congress, Democratic reps Ro Khanna of California and Dean Phillips of Minnesota called for Feinstein's resignation on Twitter. She has been an icon on issues of gun violence and women's rights, but it has become painfully obvious to many of us in California that she is no longer able to fulfill her duties as she doesn't have a clear return date. Kahana, who co-chairs Democratic Representative Barbara Lee's campaign to fill Feinstein's Senate seat in 2024, told Don Lemon on CNN this morning. We haven't been able to confirm judges at a time where women's rights and voting rights are under assault. And so, as someone from California, I felt an obligation to say what so many colleagues are saying in private. The time has come for her to gracefully step down and have a dignified end to a very distinguished political career, he added. So, Ro Kahana co-chairs Barbara Lee, total communist, her campaign to replace Feinstein in the Senate in the 2024 election. Apparently, he believes that Barbara Lee is entitled to that seat and Feinstein should simply step down and Barbara Lee can then be appointed. Then you have Barbara Lee running as an incumbent senator next year, rather than just a standard issue communist in California's House delegation. But where is Dianne Feinstein? She's been out for months with shingles and we all wish her a speedy recovery if, in fact, she is still alive. 
We're also missing John Fetterman, who apparently went into rehab and is now a well-spoken man again. I'm sure there's nothing strange going on there, but those aren't the only senators missing. Today, there's an article in The Spectator, GOP senators preparing for McConnell retirement. And of course, this is a fluff piece for rhinos, but let's go with it. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell has been out of the public eye for weeks following a serious fall that hospitalized him. Now, multiple sources confirm that Senators John Barrasso, John Cornyn and John Thune are actively reaching out to fellow Republican senators in efforts to prepare for an anticipated leadership vote, a vote that would occur upon announcement that McConnell would be retiring from his duties as leader and presumably the Senate itself. Mitch McConnell was at a dinner. And we were told that he fell so hard that he got concussed and he has just been gone for months. So we have three senators who've been gone with virtually no explanation, no plausible explanation as to exactly what's going on. John Fetterman was a walking vaccine side effect throughout his campaign. The guy could not think or speak. He literally needed technological help to be able to answer questions in interviews. And he's been absent from the Senate for virtually his whole illegitimate term. Dianne Feinstein, a total sellout to the Chinese Communist Party, literally had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. And she is out there, by the way, selling multi-million dollar homes, just sold a $25 million house in Aspen, where does a career public servant get that kind of money? And how does one accomplish such great financial feats while you have a Chinese spy next to you, presumably undermining you? You don't know that this Chinese spy is here, and yet you just continue to succeed for decade after decade with the Chinese spy undermining you the whole time. And then you've got Mitch and nobody could ever be more corrupt than Mitch, except for people like Joe Biden. One source says that Cornyn has been particularly active in his preparations, taking fellow senators with whom he has little in common to lunch in attempts to court them. Now, John Cornyn is another massive rhino. He was the one last year giving speeches about how great it was that they had just passed bipartisan gun reform legislation. Texas, honestly. Requests are being targeted at a plethora of conservative senators, including the 16 who voted to delay the leadership election earlier this year, a proxy for opposition to McConnell's leadership. Rick Scott, the Florida senator and former NRSC head who challenged McConnell, ultimately received 10 protest votes. These members could prove key to determining the next Republican leader. Queries are also being made internally about the rules regarding replacement and how the contest would be structured given the lack of an obvious heir apparent. So our corrupt and illegitimate senators are disappearing left and right, and what we are witnessing is the machinations of the regime in attempting to replace them. And I'm not sure what's more insulting, having illegitimate senators in the first place, or them not even being able to fulfill the roles of the jobs that they are illegitimately holding. So let's move to some Ukraine stuff. We have been following the story of the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines, 
And Seymour Hirsch has a new piece out about that, which I'm about to go through. But first, Donald Trump was asked in his interview with Tucker Carlson the other night about who was responsible for the Nord Stream sabotage. And he answered this way. Um, I don't want to get our country in trouble, so I won't answer it. But uh, I can tell you who it wasn't was Russia. How about when they blamed Russia? You know, they said Russia blew up their own pipeline. You got a kick out of that one, too. It wasn't Russia. And that's about as clear as can be. It wasn't Russia. So let's check in with Seymour Hirsch. This is from his Substack, And the headline is trading with the enemy. The Ukraine government headed by Volodymyr Zelensky has been using American taxpayer funds to pay dearly for the vitally needed diesel fuel that is keeping the Ukrainian army on the move in its war with Russia. It is unknown how much the Zelensky government is paying per gallon for the fuel, but the Pentagon was paying as much as $400 per gallon to transport gasoline from a port in Pakistan via truck or parachute into Afghanistan during the decades-long American war there. $400 per gallon. Sounds like someone was making a lot of money, and I doubt it was a local Afghanistan 7-Eleven. What is also unknown is that Zelensky has been buying the fuel from Russia, the country with which it and Washington are at war. And the Ukrainian president and many in his entourage have been skimming untold millions from the American dollars earmarked for diesel fuel payments. One estimate by analysts from the CIA put the embezzled funds at $400 million last year, at least. Another expert compared the level of corruption in Kyiv as approaching that of the Afghan war. Although there will be no professional audit reports emerging from Ukraine, the expert said. That's strange. I remember myself and a whole lot of other people last year saying that Ukraine would be the replacement for Afghanistan. The military industrial complex has to have a place to continue siphoning off tons of American taxpayer dollars to line their own pockets. Zelensky's been buying discount diesel from the Russians, one knowledgeable American intelligence official told me. And who's paying for the gas and oil? We are. Putin and his oligarchs are making millions on it. Man, Ukraine is buying gas from the enemy? It seems like there's something we're not being told about this war. Many government ministries in Kyiv have been literally competing, I was told, to set up front companies for export contracts for weapons and ammunition with private arms dealers around the world, all of which provide kickbacks. Many of those companies are in Poland and Chechia, but others are thought to exist in the Persian Gulf and Israel. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that there are others in places like the Cayman Islands and Panama, and there are lots of Americans involved. An American expert on international trade told me the issue of corruption was directly raised with Zelensky in a meeting last January in Kyiv with CIA director William Burns. His message to the Ukrainian president, I was told by an intelligence official with direct knowledge of the meeting, was out of a 1950s mob movie. The senior generals and government officials in Kyiv were angry at what they saw as Zelensky's greed. So Burns told the Ukrainian president because, quote, he was taking a larger share of the skim money than was going to the generals. 
Burns also presented Zelensky with a list of 35 generals and senior officials whose corruption was known to the CIA and others in the American government. Zelensky responded to the American pressure 10 days later by publicly dismissing 10 of the most ostentatious officials on the list and doing little else. The 10 he got rid of were brazenly bragging about the money they had, driving around Kiev in their new Mercedes, the intelligence official told me. Oh, those very brave Ukrainians protecting the sovereignty of their very sovereign nation. Zelensky's half-hearted response and the White House's lack of concern was seen, the intelligence official added, as another sign of a lack of leadership that is leading to a total breakdown of trust between the White House and some elements of the intelligence community. Another divisive issue I have been repeatedly told in my recent reporting is the strident ideology and lack of political skill shown by Secretary of State Tony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. And I guess that's what you get when you begin hiring corrupt actors into an illegitimate administration. Incompetent people in positions of power in the regime infrastructure. It's the exact parallel we discussed last week with the problems in Amazon's entertainment division. The president and his two main foreign policy advisors live in different worlds than the experienced diplomats and military and intelligence officers assigned to the White House. They have no experience, judgment and moral integrity. They just tell lies, make up stories. Diplomatic deniability is something else. The intelligence official said. This has to be done. A prominent retired American diplomat who strenuously opposes Biden's foreign policy toward China and Russia depicted Blinken as little more than a, quote, jumped up congressional staffer and Sullivan as a, quote, political campaign manager who suddenly find themselves front and center in the world of high powered diplomacy, quote, with no empathy for the opposition. They're decent Pauls, he added. But now we have the political and energy world all upside down. China and India are now selling refined gasoline to the Western world. It's just business. The current crisis is not helped by the fact that Putin is also acting irrationally. The intelligence official told me that everything Putin has been doing in Ukraine is counter to Russia's long term interests. Emotion has overcome rationality and he's doing things that are totally nonproductive. And so are we going to sit down with Zelensky and Putin to work it out? Not a chance. And you have to wonder if this intelligence official is just spinning a story to Seymour Hirsch, because the claim that Putin is acting irrationally in the long term interests of Russia just does not seem to make any sense anymore. There is a total breakdown between the White House leadership and the intelligence community, the intelligence official said. The rift dates back to the fall when, as I reported in early February, Biden ordered the covert destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines in the Baltic Sea. Destroying the Nord Stream pipelines was never discussed or even known in advance by the community, the official told me, and there is no strategy for ending the war. The U.S. spent two years planning for the Normandy invasion in World War II. What are we going to do if China decides to invade Taiwan? The official added that the National Intelligence Council has yet to order a national intelligence estimate on defending Taiwan from China, which would provide national security and political guidance in case such does happen.
There is no reason yet, despite repeated American political provocation from both Democrats and Republicans, the official said, to suspect that China has any intention of invading Taiwan. It has lost billions building its wildly ambitious Belt and Road Initiative aimed at linking East Asia to Europe and investing, perhaps foolishly, in seaports around the world. The point is, the official told me, there is no working NIE process anymore. I'm kind of getting the impression that this intelligence official is worried about being cut out. Burns is not the problem, the official said. The problem is Biden and his principal lieutenants, Blinken and Sullivan, and their court of worshipers, who see those who criticize Zelensky as being pro-Putin. We are against evil. Ukraine will fight till the last military shell is gone and still fight. And here's Biden who is telling America we're going to fight as long as it takes. The official cited the little known and rarely discussed deployment authorized by Biden of two brigades with thousands of America's best army combat units to the region. A brigade of the 82nd Airborne Division has been intensively training and exercising from its base inside Poland within a few miles of the Ukrainian border. It was reinforced late last year by a brigade from the 101st Airborne Division that was deployed in Romania. The actual manpower of the two brigades, when administrative and support units, with the trucks and drivers who haul the constant stream of arms and military equipment flowing by sea to keep the units combat ready, could total more than 20,000. The intelligence officials told me that, quote, there is no evidence that any senior official in the White House really knows what's going on in the 82nd and 101st. Are they there as part of a NATO exercise or to serve with NATO combat units if the West decides to engage Russian units inside Ukraine? Are they there to train or to be a trigger? The rules of engagement say they can't attack Russians unless our boys are getting attacked. But the juniors are running the show here, the official added. There's no NSC coordination and the U.S. Army is getting ready to go to war. There's no idea whether the White House knows what's going on. Has the president gone to the American people with an informative broadcast about what is going on? The only briefings the press and the public get today are from the White House spokespeople. This is not just bad leadership. There is none. Zero. The official added that a team of Ukrainian combat pilots are now getting trained here in America to fly U.S. built F-16 fighter jets with the goal, if needed, of flying in combat against Russian troops and other targets inside Ukraine. No decision about such deployment has been made. Now, those are a couple interesting paragraphs. The White House has no idea what's going on. There's zero leadership whatsoever coming from the White House. The intelligence agencies have been cut out. The National Security Council has been cut out. There's no idea whether or not these troops stationed in Poland are working with NATO. How many times do we need to hear that the fake president isn't in command before we begin believing that the fake president legitimately isn't in command and isn't receiving intelligence? The disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan and that terrorist attack certainly indicated it. And I've expressed on here before that it genuinely does seem like they don't know what's going on. When does Biden and aside from the dementia, Biden, the people in his administration, when do any of them seem like they know what's going on in any circumstance? 
Did they seem like they knew what was going on with the sky circle? I understand that they are trying to disseminate a narrative, make themselves look good. They're not out there telling the truth. I get all that. The whole story is fake from their side. I understand. But they don't seem like they understand the real story. They seem to be consistently caught off guard when asked to discuss virtually anything. The clearest statements of American policy have not come from the White House, but from the Pentagon. Army General Mark A. Milley, who is chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said of the war last March 15th, Russia remains isolated. Their military stocks are rapidly depleting. Their soldiers are demoralized, untrained, unmotivated conscripts and convicts, and their leadership is failing them. Having already failed in their strategic objectives, Russia is increasingly relying on other countries, such as Iran and North Korea. This relationship is built on the cruel bonds of repressing freedom, subverting liberty, and maintaining their tyranny. Ukraine remains strong. They are capable and trained. Ukrainian soldiers are strong in their combat units. Their tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, and armored vehicles are only going to bolster the front line. Now, all of that is nuts. There is evidence that Milley is as optimistic as he sounds. I was told that two months ago, the Joint Chiefs had ordered members of the staff, the military phrase is tasked, to draft an end of war treaty to present to the Russians after their defeat on the Ukraine battlefield. If worse comes to worse for the undermanned and outgunned Ukraine army in the next few months, will the two American brigades join forces with NATO troops and face off with the Russian army inside Ukraine? Is this the plan or hope of the American president? Is this the fireside chat he wants to give? If Biden decides to share his thoughts with the American people, he might want to explain what two army brigades fully staffed and supplied are doing so close to the war zone. But then again, how is Biden supposed to explain something he doesn't know anything about? And let's not forget that we are having this conversation in the context of the major story that's out there right now regarding Ukraine, these military planning documents that were found on a discord server and the story about that leak. We're getting all sorts of investigative reporting from the mainstream media telling us how this leak happened while they're largely ignoring the contents of the leak and what this means for the future of the Ukraine war. The interesting thing about this story is that the mainstream media is widely reporting it. The administration is out there talking about it. There is some element to this entire issue that seems obviously fake. And when that happens, it's wise not to trust any of the story, but to try to know all of it and see if there's some way that it maps on to what we're thinking about. And at that point, maybe we get some meaning out of it. We can find some useful knowledge in there. But the whole thing seems pretty well orchestrated. And a prime example of that is the fact that former Clinton White House chief of staff, former secretary of defense and former CIA director Leon Panetta, one of the 51 former intelligence officials who signed the letter saying that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation was on CNN talking to Christian Amanpour so that he could relay to the world the official story 
about what's going on with the leak of these war plans. Any leak of highly classified information uh, is going to damage our national security, uh, particularly impacting on the sources of that intelligence. Uh, who These are sources that put their lives on the line in order to gather intelligence, and they're now vulnerable. But secondly, this is also timely intelligence. Uh, it it, it uh, deals with uh, information over the last two months on the strengths and weaknesses of both Russia and the Ukraine. So there's no question that it's going to impact on the military decisions that are going to be made in these next few weeks. Does it strike you as odd, even, even though, as, as you correctly say, we don't know the who's, the how's, etc. But that itself is, is, is pretty strange, isn't it? I mean, you knew almost immediately when WikiLeaks happened, and that was the last big dump of real-time uh, intelligence. You know, almost immediately after the Snowden, uh, it was different, but, uh, but, but those leaks as well. Is, is, are you surprised that they're surprised and caught unawares? Well, this is information that appeared on a social media app. I think Discord is the name of it. Uh, and uh, you would think that we would be able to have the forensics to determine exactly uh, how this leak occurred. Uh, I'm sure that the Pentagon, uh, the Justice Department, and the FBI uh, are applying as many resources as possible because, frankly, we don't know whether or not there's additional information out there. And if there's more to come, uh, this could be particularly damaging, uh, not only with regards to what happens in Ukraine and the decisions that are made there, but also the impact that it has on our allies. We've already had to explain uh, mm -hmm. this intelligence uh, to South Korea, to Israel, to the UAE, and to others that are involved. So. Uh, this could be, there could be even more damage to come if we don't plug this leak as soon as possible. So the focus is on the leaker and not the substance of the leaks. The mainstream media is running cover for all of this, as you might expect. Fox News and the other networks are agreeing not to publish the leaked documents, I guess, as a favor to the Pentagon or the intelligence community. And the Washington Post is framing this whole story, this new narrative as the discord links, which itself gives some credence to the idea that this could be a potential play for further censorship, looking to shut down platforms. They're out there saying these platforms can be used to share and leak America's critical intelligence. We need to be able to censor more people in the interest of national security. And assuming any of this is real, it seems like an attempt to make sure that the buck does not stop with the fake president, Joe Biden, even though the buck absolutely does stop there. So let's get into some of that. This is from the Washington Post last night. It's a long article, so I'll give you the beginning and the end. You can check into this on your own. Discord member details how documents leaked from closed chat group. The man behind a massive leak of U.S. government secrets that has exposed spying on allies revealed the grim prospects for Ukraine's war with Russia and ignited diplomatic fires for the White House is a young, charismatic gun enthusiast 
who shared highly classified documents with a group of far-flung acquaintances searching for companionship in the isolation of the pandemic. And already we are off to an utterly ridiculous start. So the Washington Post says that the prospects for Ukraine's war with Russia are grim. But don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that he is a gun enthusiast who just hated his life because he felt isolated during the pandemic. United by their mutual love of guns, military gear, and God, the group of roughly two dozen mostly men and boys formed an invitation-only clubhouse in 2020 on Discord, an online platform popular with gamers. But they paid little attention last year when the man some call OG posted a message laden with strange acronyms and jargon. The words were unfamiliar and few people read the long note, one of the members explained. But he revered OG, the elder leader of their tiny tribe, who claimed to know the secrets that the government withheld from ordinary people. The young member read OG's message closely, and the hundreds more that he said followed on a regular basis for months. They were, he recalled, what appear to be near verbatim transcripts of classified intelligence documents that OG indicated he had brought home from his job on a military base, which the member declined to identify. OG claimed he spent at least some of his day inside a secure facility that prohibited cell phones and other electronic devices, which could be used to document the secret information housed on government computer networks or spooling out from printers. So a skiff. He was stealing documents from a skiff, which sounds a lot like what the fake president was doing when he was vice president. He annotated some of the hand typed documents, the member said, translating arcane intel speak for the uninitiated, such as explaining that no foreign N-O-F-O-R-N meant the information in the document was so sensitive it must not be shared with foreign nationals. OG told the group he toiled for hours, writing up the classified documents to share with his companions in the Discord server he controlled. The gathering spot had been a pandemic refuge, particularly for teen gamers locked in their houses and cut off from their real-world friends. The members swapped memes, offensive jokes, and idle chit-chat. They watched movies together, joked around, and prayed. But OG also lectured them about world affairs and secretive government operations. He wanted to keep us in the loop, the member said, and seemed to think that his insider knowledge would offer the others protection from the troubled world around them. Ooh, it's a den of conspiracy theory. He's a smart person. He knew what he was doing when he posted these documents, of course. These weren't accidental leaks of any kind, the member said, and they have a video where a guy's face is hidden as he tells them about this tale of espionage. The transcribed documents OG posted traversed a range of sensitive subjects that only people who had undergone months-long background checks would be authorized to see. There were top-secret reports about the whereabouts and movements of high-ranking political leaders and tactical updates on military forces, the member said. Geopolitical analysis insights into foreign government's efforts to interfere with elections. If you could think it, it was in those documents. Wait a second. Foreign governments interfere in elections? 
Not here, of course, because nobody interferes with American elections. We have the most safe and secure elections in the world, but apparently foreign countries interfere in other elections. So other countries don't have the safest and most secure elections in the world. Well, that's weird. How come we are never told about foreign interference in elections? In those initial posts, OG had given his fellow members a small sip of the torrent of secrets that was to come. When rendering hundreds of classified files by hand proved too tiresome, he began posting hundreds of photos of documents themselves, an astonishing cache of secrets that has been steadily spilling into public view over the past week, disrupting U.S. foreign policy and aggravating America's allies. This account of how detailed intelligence documents intended for an exclusive circle of military leaders and government decision makers found their way into and then out of OG's closed community is based in part on several lengthy interviews with the Discord group member who spoke to the Washington Post on the condition of anonymity. He is under 18 and was a young teenager when he met OG. The Post obtained consent from the member's mother to speak to him and to record his remarks on video. He asked that his voice not be obscured. And the Post presents a very intricately detailed story of how the discord group evolved and how they were very tight knit. It was all just sharing and caring and all of it is very, very real. You can't doubt it whatsoever, but let's jump down to the end. A little segment with the subheading, not a whistleblower. For all OG's disdain for the federal government, the members said there was no indication that he was acting in what he thought was the public interest by exposing official secrets. The classified documents were intended only to benefit his online family, the members said. I would definitely not call him a whistleblower. I would not call OG a whistleblower in the slightest, he said, resisting comparisons to Edward Snowden, who shared classified documents about government surveillance with journalists. And the article, of course, also mentions reality winner. We got to get all the, the star leakers on board in this article. Make sure that the official story and the central narrative are rock solid in this latest revision. Remarkably, the member said he has been in touch with OG in the past few days, even as an FBI manhunt is underway and the Pentagon launches its own inquiry into the leaks. After shuttering the Thug Shaker central server, OG moved the community to another server to communicate with his online family. He, quote, seemed very confused and lost as to what to do, the member said. He is fully aware of what's happening and what the consequences may be. He's just not sure on how to go about solving this situation. He seems pretty distraught about it. Man, a lot of faith being placed in this random anonymous teenager they found on the Discord server. In his final message to his companions, OG admonished them to keep low and delete any information that could possibly relate to him. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a Fed at all. That included any copies of the classified documents OG had shared. When it dawned on them that OG was in grave peril and intended to disappear, the members of Thug Shaker Central full-on sobbed and cried, the young member said. It is like losing a family member. In hours of interviews, he continued to express admiration and loyalty to a man who may have endangered his young followers by allowing them to see and possess classified information, exposing them to potential federal crimes. 
I figured he would not be putting us in any sort of harm's way, the member said. And of course, you got to trust a teenager when he says that, even though he's witnessing over the course of months, this guy who says he has access to top secret military information, sharing it on the discord server. No way that he could have ever gotten anyone else in trouble. Smart. Now he says he believes that the world should see the secrets OG passed along to a tiny group. He argued that the public deserves to know how intelligence agencies spend their tax dollars and was particularly outraged that the documents show U.S. surveillance of foreign allies. Well, we've known about that for years and years and years. But what the young man regarded as a revelation will come as no surprise to the countries whose officials the U.S. has been monitoring for decades. While rarely discussed and embarrassing for Washington when exposed, it's widely understood that the U.S. intelligence community monitors many friendly governments, just as foreign allies try to do the same. And they especially do it within five eyes, where foreign intelligence agencies can monitor us and then the CIA can ask them for the intelligence so that the CIA isn't the one monitoring us. They're just receiving shared intelligence from their intelligence counterparts within five eyes. You see, you just send it through the laundry and then it comes out all clean. Thousands of military personnel and government employees around OG's age working entry to low level positions could plausibly have access to classified documents like the ones he allegedly shared, according to U.S. officials and experts who have seen the documents reported in the media. Oh, people that have no knowledge of the situation. Got it. Despite what his young followers thought, OG would have had no special knowledge compared with his peers. He possessed no special power to predict events. Rather, he appears to have persuaded some highly impressionable teenagers that he's a modern-day gamer meets Jason Bourne. Okay, got it. Just a random disillusioned MAGA guy, right? That's how you've set it up. But he also had access to top-secret documents that had been contained in a skiff. Totally makes sense. The member says he's confident the authorities will find OG, but when they do, he won't be charged. Instead, he believes OG will be imprisoned without due process at Guantanamo Bay or disappeared to a black site if he's not assassinated for what he knows. And it turns out, according to the television, that they have found him and arrested him. The member, as well as the OG follower who corroborated his account, found no fault in their leader's actions and instead said they blame the teen who posted the documents on the Wow Mao server for wrecking their community. Maybe we should have had better OPSEC, the member said, harnessing the jargon of military and intelligence personnel for operational security. He said he will not divulge OG's identity or location to law enforcement until he is captured or can flee the United States. I think I might be detained eventually. I think there might be a short investigation on how I knew this guy, and they'll try to get something out of me. They might try to threaten me with prison time if I don't reveal their identity. To date, no federal law enforcement officials have contacted the young group member. Asked why he was prepared to help OG, even at the risk of his own freedom, the young man replied without hesitation, he was my best friend. So there you have it. Someone on a Discord server got highly classified intelligence out of a skiff, put it on a Discord server over the course of months, and we're finding out about this from an anonymous teenager who the Washington Post found. 
And after you believe all that, the takeaway is MAGA bad because he is a gun enthusiast who likes to talk about God and was upset by the things the regime is doing. That guy was able to leak highly classified war plans and they made their way out to the public. But the real story is about the friends we made along the way. Now let's check in with CNN covering the arrest of the leaker. Investigation, but uh, the identity of this person was uh, was made public by. Investigation, but uh, the identity of this person was uh, was made public by uh, some of the news media reports in New York Times uh, and of course the Washington Post, which has been doing a lot of reporting on this over the last few days. Uh, reported on his identity. So uh, I'm told by sources that uh, the uh, investigation kind of accelerated as a result of the, uh, his identity becoming uh, public. So now we expect that he's going to be taken to a federal court there in Massachusetts, in Boston, uh, where the procedure will begin to remove him and bring him down to the Washington, D.C. area, where we expect that the charges are going to be filed uh, uh, for the, again, for his connection to the leaking of these documents. Um, at this point, uh, there's not a lot we know about the exact charges. We expect we might hear more from the Attorney General uh, and from the Justice Department uh, soon, uh, whenever they, they uh, decide to make public the, the charges that are to be announced. But uh, we do know, obviously, that they, as you can hear from that briefing just now at the Pentagon, uh, you know, they're treating this as a criminal matter. They believe that uh, there's great, some serious national security uh, damage that has been done by the exposure of these documents. The Washington Post said that there's many as 500 documents that they had seen uh, on various platforms, including uh, on these chat rooms, uh, Discord, uh, which is a which is a gaming platform. A and so that's, of course, now in the hands of the Justice Department and prosecutors who are going to be bringing the, the, the federal charges uh, against uh, this uh, young man. Again, 21-year-old uh, Jack Teixeira, 21 years old, a uh, member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Again, those are pictures, we believe, uh, of Teixeira being taken into custody by the FBI and by the, uh, the investigators there who've been working this case uh, frantically over the last few days. So you got military personnel around a military vehicle, video of a kid in a T-shirt and shorts getting handcuffed, and it's the FBI arresting him. It's been in the Washington Post and the New York Times. Now it's on the TV. All of it is real. Thank goodness they captured this random kid. Now, one might think that this might harm the war effort, but it hasn't. This is the Wall Street Journal this morning. Ukraine says U.S. leaks won't impact its planned offensive. And I guess that that must be because the war plans were so good that even the enemy knowing them can't stop them. Seems like they should have started using these war plans 14 months ago. A senior Ukrainian official played down the seriousness of the online leak of classified U.S. intelligence documents, saying they would have no impact on a critical Ukrainian offensive planned for the coming weeks. The leaked files have, quote, no operational significance. Mikhailo Podoliak, a Ukrainian presidential advisor, said in an interview, they have no impact on the front line or the planning of the general staff, he said. 
The documents published so far don't contain any major intelligence revelations regarding where, when, and how Ukraine intends to regain the 18% of the country's territory that remain occupied by Russia. By the way, it's always worth noting that 18% of the country is just Russia now. Only a fraction of the several hundred classified documents uploaded to a small Discord server between January and March have become public, however. It isn't clear whether the remaining undisclosed documents contain more damaging information or whether they are already in Moscow's possession. As the U.S. government investigates one of the most serious intelligence breaches of recent decades, Ukrainian officials are publicly denying any serious damage from the leaks and say they are waiting for the right moment to launch the much-anticipated spring push. Still, as soon as the existence of the breach became public last Friday, President Volodymyr Zelensky ordered new unspecified measures to protect Ukraine's military secrets. It isn't clear to what extent the fallout will impair intelligence sharing between Kyiv and Washington. The leaks come at a critical moment in the war. Russian forces are inching forward in eastern Ukraine in grinding assaults, while Ukraine's military is preparing for an offensive aimed at recapturing occupied territory and demonstrating to Ukrainian citizens and Western backers that its goal of taking back all of its lands is achievable. The immediate aim of the offensive is to break through defensive lines that Russia has been reinforcing for months. Analysts have suggested that a key target could be an occupied band of territory along Ukraine's south coast that connects Crimea with mainland Russia, with potential avenues of advance toward the cities of Melitopol, Berdyansk, and Mariupol. The U.S. and allies are equipping and training nine Ukrainian brigades for the offensive, while the Ukrainian military is preparing three additional brigades by itself. Ukraine's National Guard is creating nine more assault brigades. A typical Ukrainian brigade has between 5,000 and 7,000 troops, meaning these fresh forces could number well above 100,000 soldiers. Sure, sure they can. One leaked document dated February 28th assesses the training and availability of equipment for the nine Western trained brigades and suggests that they should be ready and combat credible by the end of April. These forces are being equipped with the latest Western provided heavy weapons such as Leopard 2 and Challenger 2 tanks and Martyr, Bradley and Stryker infantry fighting vehicles. All in all, the nine brigades, which will belong to the Ukrainian Army's 9th and 10th Corps, will have 200 tanks, 867 fighting vehicles, and armored personnel carriers, and 152 artillery pieces, according to one leaked presentation. So I guess they're all true now, except, you know, for that part about casualties, where Ukrainian casualties were four times the Russian casualties. It's actually so many casualties for each, and it's all equal. It's 200,000 each. That's what we were told last week. But the rest of it's true. That part was a lie. The rest is true. While the Russian military still outguns Ukraine, its advantage in heavy weapons is no longer as lopsided as it was a year ago, in part because of huge losses inflicted on Russian troops during the past year, according to the documents. After losing more than 2,000 tanks, Russia can field 3,028 tanks versus Ukraine's 1,765. 
Its number of remaining artillery systems after losing nearly a thousand is at 4,919 versus Ukraine's 3,024, according to the Pentagon documents. And again, you have to love how they're saying these huge losses inflicted on Russian troops, even though according to these same documents, it's four to one in favor of Russia. The Wall Street Journal wasn't able to independently authenticate the documents, but they contain enough detail to give them credibility. Oh, so that's what we go on now. That's cool. Great job, mainstream media. Defense officials have said they believe some of the documents could be authentic. Mr. Podoliak, the presidential advisor, said the timing of the attack depended on equipment and personnel being ready. I wouldn't be fixated on when the counterattack will take place, but on the resources and at what point the resources will be sufficient to get a result, he said. And we know that these resources are taking forever to get there, and many of them never arrive. So all of this is probably, honestly, a complete and total smoke show. But we'll see. In addition to Western tanks, fighting vehicles, and howitzers, Ukraine also needs hundreds of thousands of rounds of artillery ammunition for the offensive, something that would require the U.S. and allies to further draw down their stocks. As of March 1st, Ukraine was firing on average 2,746 155 millimeter artillery rounds a day with only a four day reserve on hand and 14 HIMARS missiles a day with an 18 day reserve, according to the leaked files. So again, things are going well. Russia is also increasingly suffering from ammunition shortages after a winter campaign that involved, quote, a daily deluge of artillery fires, according to one of the Pentagon documents. These tactics have diminished Russian forces and munitions stockpiles to a level that, barring an unforeseen recovery, can exhaust Russian units and frustrate Moscow's war aims, resulting in a protracted war beyond 2023, said a leaked analysis dated February 22nd. One of the leaked documents also suggested that Russia could achieve its long-sought goal of air superiority in Ukrainian skies as early as May because Ukraine is running out of anti-aircraft missiles. Russia has had air superiority in Ukraine the entire time. You want to know how you can know that really easily? All of the regime communists in the Congress and around the fake administration have been clamoring for jet fighters to be sent to Ukraine the entire time. And think back to when they created that ridiculous story about the ghost of Kiev. They made up a fake story to make people think they had any sort of pushback in response to Russian air superiority. And everybody knows that story was totally fake. Mr. Podoliak said that Russia had changed tactics in its use of missiles against Ukraine. After using cruise missiles to target Ukrainian energy infrastructure, Russia is now focusing on using missiles and guided bombs to strike closer to the front line areas. He said Russia is using S-300 air defense systems to launch missiles at ground targets and air-launched unguided FAB-500 bombs that have been converted into guided bombs. Ukraine needs more air defense systems and modern jet fighters in order to protect its skies, Mr. Podoliak said. So now the same article admits it. They've been begging for jet fighters for over a year. They still don't have them. 
Poland and Slovakia are supplying modernized Soviet-era MiG-29 jet fighters to Ukraine, but Ukrainian officials say they need more modern planes, like the U.S.-made F-16 to combat Russian threats. And apparently they also need fighters who know how to fly any of these planes, and that's why they're being trained in the United States. What an absolute disinformation shit show all of this is. The U.S. has so far declined to provide jets or longer range weapons with the potential to strike deep into Russia. And there we have it. Aren't you now confident in Ukraine's ability to wipe out all the Russian forces and chase them from their land? The whole thing has reached a point of utter ridiculousness. They seem to be completely unprepared. They have been dominated by Russia the whole time. Now the war plans have been leaked by a young man who I guess got them out of the skiff. How? No one knows. All we have is the story of an anonymous teenager as told to the Washington Post. But even despite all that, Ukraine is not deterred. They are just a bunch of plucky, committed, patriotic Ukrainians willing to defend their sovereign land, even though one fifth of it is now just Russia. Things are going great for the regime. They are so powerful. That's how they're going to be able to defend Taiwan from China, even though Emmanuel Macron just said a few days ago that France, among others, will not be involved in that China-Taiwan situation. And they don't even know if the U.S. is going to provide the security guarantee required by the NATO treaty. And I have to say that it feels very weird to record 75 minutes of a podcast. And the only thing that we should suspect is true or reality based in any way was Donald Trump's three minute video statement. We have Mark Elias, who told us that elections are very safe and very secure, waged lawfare, tried to game the legal system to keep fraudulent elections in place. That gaming might come back to haunt the Democrats. We have senators who don't show up for months and months with very implausible and very thin explanations for why they're gone and what's going on. We have a preposterous story about how these leaks happened. We have no idea whether or not the leaks are even real. Seems like just a massive information operation at this time. Quite clear that Joe Biden has no idea what's going on. We have this young man being arrested by the FBI and the story about this man delivered to us by an anonymous teenager talking to the Washington Post. And then we have leaked war plans that show the regime has been lying about the status of the war and no one is going to change their plans about the spring offensive. Like I said, this is a disinformation shit show. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month 
comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!